National Invitation Final, a red-hot championship battle that sets Madison Square Garden rocking. Gene Melchiori racks one up for the favored Bradley Five, rated top in the nation. Erwin Dambrot answers with a basket for Underdog City. City College, already victor over Bradley's Braves in the Invitation Tourney, takes them on again in the NCAA Finals. City jumps into the lead as Big Ed Roman sinks one from the corner. 18,000 tense fans and the slow-motion camera see the teamwork that makes Bradley the terror of the court as Bill Mann passes to Paul Unruh, who justifies his reputation. As the battle waxes hot, Norm Major of City and Aaron Priest of Bradley crash head-on. knocked cold in that court crack up and now playing with five stitches in his head sinks up beauty. City's 11-point lead looks safe but Bradley undismayed comes back as Shanaka scores. It takes City teamwork at its best to cancel the damage with Floyd Lane making the play pay off. City leads by a single point with 30 seconds to go. New York fans have their hearts in their mouths as Gene Melchiori, the night's top scorer, drives in for the shot that can win. But City's great captain, Erwin Dambrot, grabs the ball and hurls it the length of the court to Major. And it's all over but the shouting as the battered Norm Major, playing the game of his life, sinks it. City wins the game, the championship, and the first Grand Slam in basketball history. Teammates Rush, Major, and City coach Nat Holman. It's a great moment for a great team. Wow, that was a blast from the past. I wonder how many of you saw that live. All right, no, not very many of you. All right. It was an interesting thing. I don't know if you caught the, uh, the information. It was 1950 in Madison Square Garden. Uh, New York City College was the champion, not only of the NIT, the National Invitational Tournament, but the NCAA Tournament. It was the first time and the only time in history where one team won both titles in the same place, Madison Square Garden. Another interesting fact is most sports writers thought New York City College shouldn't even been there. Uh, they didn't think they'd be able to compete with teams like Kentucky, which they beat in the first round, giving Coach Rupp his greatest defeat of all time, an amazing uh, feat. They went on to beat Bradley in both the NIT and the NCAA in the championships of both games to be uh, the victor of both. Uh, Bradley from Illinois was the number one team entering the tournament, and yet New York City College was able to win in Madison Square Garden. They were the Cinderella. They were crowned champion. Uh, Madison Square Garden has crowned champions for about 70 or 80 years. That was the place where people went to be uh, uh, crowned the champion right there in the garden. Today, on the road to the cross, we, we, we jump from uh, the Garden of New York to the garden around the story of Jesus. In the road to the cross, uh, we're going to be journeying through three gardens today. One at the beginning of creation, one right before the cross, and then one in the book of Revelation, which I'm super excited about. But I pray that we learn today to be committed to honoring Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And that we be strengthened in our commitment to celebrate his resurrection, no matter where we are, no matter what day it is, but especially on Easter. By the way, Easter is this year, April 17th. Uh, mark your calendar for that. Don't miss that. We celebrate the resurrection every day. Didn't the band do a great job celebrating the resurrection day? That was great. 
But there's something special about Easter. It's a day uh, set aside in, in, in church history, church culture, that we make it all about the resurrection. And I'm so excited about that, looking forward to uh, worshiping with you and being uh, drawn to the cross and to the resurrection uh, through things like the choir. The choir is back, and I heard them practicing Wednesday, and I'm excited about that. Um, also, we're working on an illustration that hopefully will... Uh, like just be burned in your mind about what Christ can do through what he did, did for us on the cross. Here's what I ask of you. Be praying about inviting a friend. There's something special about uh, specifically Christmas and Easter where our friends, our neighbors, are more inclined to, to hear an invitation from us and then to say yes. So as you leave here today, uh, by most of the doors and the tables, there are invite cards. And just say, uh, the cross changes everything. It's going to be our theme for Resurrection Sunday. On the back is information. Let your friends know that you will join them. Not that they can just come in the building and be lost, but you'll join them on Saturday at 6.30 or Sunday Easter morning at 8, 9.30 or 11. Here's my challenge. Invite someone and say, I want to sit with you. Maybe you're going to go for breakfast at Lou Bob's and then to, to church. Or maybe you're going to uh, come together and then have them over for lunch. But in some way, I want you not only to invite them, but, but be engaged in their lives like, like you already are. Our friends need to hear about the hope we have and, and not just know it's on our t-shirt or something we talk about, but our hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in the forgiveness of sins that we have through him. It's a great time opportunity. It's time our friends know about that or reminded about that. Uh, because of all the truth that we know and we can share, that's the most important. It goes beyond any generosity that we can give to those in need. It, it goes beyond any service that we can make for someone that's hurting. If people do not know that Jesus died for them and they can have life through the forgiveness of sins, then our point and our, our other things we do are, are, are meaningless. You know, they must go hand in hand. And now is the perfect time for them to hear. It's time for us to get real about the hope that we have of eternal life. And it is a hope that changes everything. The world needs to know that without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we are lost in our sin and all that our life leads to forever is death. Do we really have to talk about death? Uh, oh, Tyson, it's probably best we don't talk about death. Uh, for No, from what I found, death has a 100% success rate in humans. It's in animals. Death is, death is coming for us all. And without our faith in Jesus, death lasts forever. So we've got to talk about death, and that's what makes the resurrection amazing and beautiful. Every human will experience death. The difference about Jesus was he engaged death fully, and his response to death was life. And in that power, we can rejoice, and, and we're going to do that today again. And that hope changes everything that we have. The day we stop making much about the resurrection of Jesus, I'll say that again, if we ever stop making much about the resurrection of Jesus, the day that we just go about the details of the world and we go along with the news feed and just talk about all that and we just talk about basketball and, and maybe this and those things, whatever the world's talking about, the day that's all we talk about is the day the church ceases to, to, to matter. So we must make much about Jesus and him being crucified, risen, and coming again. And that's what we can celebrate. And I think that's what the world's attracted to, that there's life after death through him. I believe some of your friends, if not all of your friends, would join you if you would invite them and, and say, I want to be with you on this day so you can hear about the good news of Jesus. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I pray that you would lay in our hearts those that we need to invite, that need to hear the good news, to know the hope we have that's more than just an inspirational thought or a shirt, but it's life-changing. The fact that we can go from no hope to life forever through your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Today we do begin on this road to the cross. I, I, I enjoy basketball, but, but it's a very, uh, worth very little compared to things of this world, especially it's worth nothing compared to knowing Christ. And on the road to the cross, we see Jesus literally, as Ben talked about it, fixing his eyes on Jerusalem, on heading to be our sacrifice. In the story today, as we see him in the garden, we see him very focused on the fact that he's going to be betrayed. We know he talks to his disciples about that. We see him acknowledging that he will be abandoned. We know that he understands the weight of our sin is going to fall directly on him. And yet he still says, I am traveling down the road to the cross. The road to the cross, though, where does it start? Where does it begin? I, be, I believe it begins in the garden. Not just the garden in the Mount of Olives, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. I believe it begins in the garden uh, back at the beginning of time as we know it in Genesis. I mean, think about it. Some of the most significant matters of biblical history happen in gardens in Genesis. In the garden before Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And then we're going to see in the garden in Revelation. The first garden we're going to look at today is this garden that's in Eden. It's a place connected most closely to creation. When you think of the Garden of Eden, you think of Adam and Eve and creation. And, and what's happening in there, uh, we see at the center of that is this, this tree of life. And, and go ahead and look at this picture. Uh, I don't know what's your brain. Your brain probably comes up with even something more amazing. But in this garden, everything was perfect. Uh, everyone was was growing and breathing and moving and multiplying, and Adam and Eve were walking with God in perfect relationship because they had no idea even what sin was. In Genesis, we see God and Adam and Eve together in the perfection of the garden. And then, strangely enough, the perfect peace that they were experiencing was, was shattered by the sin of people who were created to enjoy the garden with God. Look what it says in the Genesis story in Genesis 2. So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is a strong word. You know, it's not like uh, someone saying, hey, it's late, it's time to go home. God says, you're out. Look, it says they banished them. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord stationed a mighty cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God's like, no, not only are you out, this is no longer you're getting in. And I believe at this moment when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, the road to the cross began. I mean, you can think all the things that, that, all the things that go into that, and it's a sad story. But right then is when we needed a Savior. And while he hadn't even been born yet... God is declaring in this next passage that the Savior's coming and the road to the cross has started. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl in your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity in between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And notice this. He will crush your head. 
and you will strike his heel. This is a prophetic moment from God himself saying to Satan, there's going to be a point uh, because of the sin that you created, that you tempted Adam and Eve to, uh, it's going to create a consequence for you forever. And you're going to try to overcome the offspring uh, that Eve is going to, to bring forth that, that makes a, a way to the Savior. And he is going to crush your skull. The road of the cross started in the garden at the moment Adam and Eve were banished from it. What an amazing story. And it shows our need for a Savior. That's the first garden that was shattered by sin, but it leads us to the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And this garden here uh, is beautiful. It's just outside of, of, of kind of the gates of Jerusalem. It's an amazing place. And Jesus has come to this garden in a tragic point of history. He's begun to walk to the cross. Uh, we, we see here uh, as he approaches uh, Jerusalem, um, he, he has just went through the, the uh, Palm Sunday event where people from the region have declared, oh, he, he's the Messiah. Hosanna, uh, praise him. He's going to be the new king. And then before he goes in to stand before the people, those same people that said Hosanna are going to soon say crucify him. He comes to the Mount of Olives and he slows down. And once there, he's like, we need to pray. In fact, I want to pick up this time when he's praying to God. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. If you've got a Bible around you and the pew or maybe under your chair, you can turn there easily. It's on page 882. I'm going to be reading this, this passage of Jesus in the garden here as he is uh, contemplating going to the cross and, and asking his father, um, if, if there's any other way that let this cup pass from him. I want you to know the context of what's happening here. It's a, it's a very difficult time. He's traveling to the cross. One of his disciples, Judas, has just decided to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Tragic. So he sits down with his disciples, including Judas, at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And they're sharing in the meal, and he's, he's telling them about his, his, uh, the bread and, and the cup. And then they begin to discuss other things. Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to betray me. So one of you, one of you are going to betray me. And they're like, surely not. None, none of us would do that. But Judas knew it was him. And he says, you guys are going to abandon me. In fact, Peter, Satan's going to sift you like wheat, and you're going to deny me. So Jesus is talking about betrayal, about abandonment, about denial. And they said, Jesus, we're not going to have this at all. Peter himself says, I I'm willing to die for you. Little did he know that he would denounce even knowing him. Jesus, with all this on his mind, is where he enters into this garden to pray. Look what it says in the text. He comes to this garden on mission. Ben talked about the mission already, and that was to die for us. Uh, but the, the fruit of the mission, here's what it is. It's to restore. I saw this again today in our text. from um, it, we're, we're reading right now through Mark uh, uh, over the course of April leading up to uh, Good Friday and Easter. And today in, in Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus declaring that, that he is here to help people, to restore people. And the religious leaders in Mark 3 begin to say, well, you're here for the Sabbath first. You've got to honor the rules of the Sabbath. And he's like, no, I'm here to restore people. So here he is uh, getting ready to complete his mission, but he's worn out. He's tired. He's human while he's fully God. And here's what he says to his Father in heaven, trying to fulfill his mission to restore us to the perfect garden. It says, and he came out and went 
as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pause right here for just a second. I want you to don't miss this. When things got heavy for Jesus, when he was tired, when he knew the temptation was coming, what was his custom? To pray. To get away from the world, to get away from the, the mess of life, and to be with the Father and to pray. I know some of you are being tempted. You know how I know? Because I'm human just like you. And temptation is real every day, if not every hour. Some of you are tempted right now, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. Wake up and pay attention. Pray. That you not fall in temptation. Not, not about not hearing the sermon, but, but about being led away from God's will for your life. Jesus' custom, in the form that he was fully God, still slowed down to pray with the Father. Look at verse 41. And he withdrew from then about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So he not only got away from the world, he even got away from others. I've, I've wondered a little bit at times, or actually a lot growing up especially, how far do you think Jesus could throw? It says a throw, stone throws away. Jesus was God. He, he could launch that thing, I bet, right? So well, here's what I see here. He's far enough away that no one else is involved in the conversation except him as father. He's spending time with the Father. And look what it says. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Notice this. God did not remove the cup. But right then, God's like, my son is hurting. I'm going to send an angel to nurture him, to strengthen him. Guys, an angel couldn't be sent for you today. When's the last time you prayed for an angel for strength? Angels aren't to be worshipped. They'll never save you from your sins. But God has the ability to send an angel for someone in need. Uh, right now in my heart are a couple uh, children in our region that are suffering with cancer. Uh, one went to the hospital today with a, a brain tumor. There's another one, a girl in Carlisle area. Guys, we need to be praying for those that are hurting. And angels can come to their aid. When, when's the last time you prayed for an angel to come to your aid or the aid of someone you loved? Maybe that's what you need to hear today, that you need to slow down and pray that an angel could strengthen you uh, to do God's will. That's what God did with this angel for Jesus. It strengthened him. He needed it. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. And when he arose from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. That's an interesting phrase, sleeping for sorrow. I always thought they were just sorry. You know, they were just sorry. They couldn't even stay awake. They were broken, though, too. They knew this was heavy. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He, he reminds them, I'll remind you again, pray when things get heavy, when they get tough. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. Notice it was no longer a friend. Luke doesn't say, Hey, our buddy. No, this was just a man that was once of us. Peter said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with sword? These are the same guys that said, should we send the fire from heaven? They're like, let's get out the swords. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. 
You know, some people have said, well, he did the year on purpose. And I think uh, he was going right for the head. He just missed, missed the mark. And, and praise God, notice this, what Jesus did. He said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Even as Jesus is being arrested, he is still meeting people's needs that don't even know they have a need. Jesus, man, I'm going to touch this and heal this man. You may have come here today and you've been hit by the world. You, you have been uh, 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 like just pushed off your mark. You're staggering. I want you to know Jesus is ready to meet your needs and heal you. Then Jesus said to the high priest and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day and night in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus was burdened. He's like, this, this, is, this has to happen. The hour is upon me where evil begins to have its way, where death begins to come into my life and overtake me for a moment. He says, this is the time the power of darkness is here. Can you feel the weight on Jesus? He knows the time is coming when the evil is going to fully engulf his body and sin is going to come upon him and he's going to die. And there is also the reality that this is going to be extremely painful. The Romans prided themselves on bringing pain to those they punished and especially those they crucified. They were professionals at bringing death and and pain. However, I don't believe that was the main problem that Jesus was weighed down by. Matthew and Mark's gospel share a, a little special detail. They tell us that Jesus told the disciples he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I've had great pain and sorrow to the point where I couldn't eat. You guys been there? Where, where your stomach was so tight in knots with, with anguish and sorrow you couldn't eat. I've had moments where I was in such sorrow I couldn't sleep. I've had uh, moments where I had so much distraction and sorrow, I couldn't think straight. But Jesus here, he says, I've got so much sorrow, I'm about to die. What is this cup that he's carrying? So much so that it made him sweat drops of blood, uh, him to cry out to the Father, Father, give me relief from this cup. What is this cup that led him to the cross? Some people would say it was the pain. I don't think it was the pain. Others would say it was the rejection of the the Jewish people. Remember, days before, they cried Hosanna, and just in a few hours, they're going to cry crucify. Maybe he didn't want to see that. I don't think it had anything to do with that. Others have suggested it was the abandonment of friends and the denial of a close friend, the betrayal of someone he trusted. Maybe that was the cup that he didn't want to face. Many of you know what it feels like to be betrayed by a close friend or abandoned by a loved one. That is a great pain, but that is not what led Jesus to cry out to the Father. Father, uh, let this change if at all possible. While all those things matter, the physical pain, the social rejection, and the abandonment, what was the cup that Jesus was burdened to bear? What was he begging the Father to take away? I am convinced it was the spiritual agony of my sin and your sin falling on his heart. That's the pain that he's like, Father, if at all possible, let's do it a different way. You know why? Because he never, never faced sin. He had never encompassed it in his heart because he knew as soon as sin was in his heart, the relationship with the Father had to be banished for a time. Just like we were banished from the garden. 
I believe, I'm convinced that Jesus was asking for another way, any other way, for him to accomplish his mission without taking on my sin and yours. Father, if there's any way, let's not do this. Not this way. He, he, he had seen enough people in the sin they had. He knew full well what sin uh, uh, led us to feel like and the cost of sin. I mean, you know what it feels like. Think about the last time you really had a sin that hurt your stomach, that affected your heart. Think about a time when you, when you were sick to the stomach as soon as you did what you knew was wrong. Think about that sin for a moment and how it made you feel, the regret and pain it caused. Think about how it felt uh, so much so that you hated even you doing uh, anything like it ever again, and yet you have. The regret that it caused and the hurt. Maybe it was when you betrayed a friend or you hurt a family member. Maybe it was when you were so selfish, your selfishness was central for everyone to see. Maybe it was a time when you chose to end a life or you chose to sleep with someone else's wife. It was that moment of pain and regret that, that burdens your heart, that, that overwhelms your soul. Maybe it was that time you stole to get ahead or you cheated not to fall behind. You know that time when your sin was made public? So much so you wish no one knew your name, but it seemed like everyone was pointing fingers. That is the real sin that we feel and that Jesus was about to have rush in to his heart, his mind, and his soul. He says, Father, if there's any other way. But he says, but not my will, but yours be done. Now take that pain that you felt and multiply it, not by a thousand, not by a million, not by millions of millions, but, but probably by billions of times. That is the pain that Jesus all of a sudden was about to have rush into his heart, his mind, and his body. And that guilt and that one heart was going to be overwhelming. And it was, so much so that we believe through Scripture that his heart burst under the pressure of our sin, my sin and yours. That's overwhelming. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Notice this. It says God made him who had no sin to actually become sin. And sometimes it seems sacrilegious to say Jesus was sin, but it's truth. He became sin as he hung on the cross. He was no longer uh, just the perfect son of God. He was the perfect son of God imputed with all of our sin. And he became our substitute. Look what it says. So that in him we might become the righteous of God. It is through Christ that we become right with God in no other way. That's why celebrating the resurrection is so important. Because if the resurrection had not happened, you and I would have no chance of righteousness. Oh, you can be good people. I love you people. But you are still sinners and you are saved by grace. And that's why we can celebrate. That's the hope that we have that changes everything. Jesus went through that second cross because of the mess of the, the first garden. He went through uh, that second garden because of what had happened in the first. And he bore your sin and mine. So today, before we move on, we're going to go to a time of communion. And we're just going to kind of wrestle with that second garden moment that he became sin so that our sins might be done away with so that we might become the righteousness of God in just a moment Ben is going to come and share a song that he wrote and it, it takes us through the road to the cross and it's it's amazing and it's heart-wrenching and it's beautiful all at the same time but before we do that Tiffany 
is going to in, um, is share with us a great testimony of, of a mom and a daughter who are ready to have their sins totally removed because of what Jesus has done. Good morning. Good morning. I would like to introduce to you Casey and Lily Lubieski. And uh, they are here today um, to make that great confession and be baptized. And they have been attending here for a while, and it's just been a joy getting to know their family. And a couple weeks ago when we were meeting, um, Casey said, well, can I be baptized too? I want to own this decision myself. And um, I said, absolutely. And, uh, and we praise the Lord for that. So, ladies, this is a great, exciting day for you as mother and daughter. So if you would just repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That, that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son, the Son of the living God. God. And I accept him. And, and I accept him. him. As my personal Lord and Savior. As, As my, my personal, personal Lord, Lord and Savior. Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. They have been working on that for a while. That decision has been brewing. You have an ability to make that decision right here and right now. As Ben sings this song and you just listen to the words and the music of, of the story of Jesus going to the cross... You can say, this is the day that I'm going to also claim that. Jesus in the, in the second garden claimed to follow the will of the Father. This may be your moment as we go through these gardens today that you claim the will of the Father for your life. And that is his will that you be saved through him to have eternal life. Father in heaven, as we go through this time of remembering, I pray that someone else, you would stir in their heart to follow your will to be saved through Jesus. We thank you for him as, as we prepare for communion now, as, as we respond in whatever way it is, through prayer, maybe through conversation. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Dee and I will be um, up front. Dee's going to be over here, and I'm going to be here. We're just going to be setting down today. It's going to be different. But if you'd just like to come and talk to us or pray or maybe go around someone and, and um, spend time with them as well, the door is open. If you want to lift your hands and, and worship, if you want to get down on your knees as you're touched by the words of this song and the gospel truth that Jesus loves you and died for you, man, let him move you according to his will. Father, we rejoice again with the angels and just declare that it's so good to, to be changed by you and to be saved by your son Jesus. His name we pray, amen. Kids, I'm glad you were able to come here. You guys can go off to your time of learning still. We're going to go through one more garden, and it's going to be quick. So far, we've had the Garden of Eden. We've had the garden uh, before the cross. And now we're going to see this final garden, the Garden of Life. In Revelation chapter 2, it says this. He who has an ear, so that anyone that can listen, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to, to those believers. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you remember that first tree in the Garden of Eden? It was the, the, gar, uh, the tree of life. Here it is again in Revelation. Do you remember that banishment of all humans uh, from or being around the tree of life? Uh, here is an invitation, not a, 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 an expulsion, but an invitation to come and be with him again, to be a part of this, it says, which is in the paradise of God. That tree of life is in God's paradise. You know what paradise literally means? Garden or perfection. So here's an invitation to all that hear. 
We go from that first garden through the second garden, and it leads us to the third garden. And for everyone that hears uh, that Jesus died for you and saves you, we have an ability to be with him forever in this garden, in this perfection. Each one of us know the reality of sin and, and how much hurt it causes. But because of Jesus, we can have perfection again with God. Here's what it says about this garden in Revelation 21. John writes down, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things has passed away. That old garden... Uh, that middle time in between, uh, God is declaring in the new garden, it's all going to be made new. There's not going to be any more death. There's not even going to be any more pain. But we will be with God forever and we will be his people. There's one more passage I want to see from Revelations chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river, John says, with the water of life cl clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street there. He's talking about this heavenly picture. On each side of the river grew a, grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh, fresh crop every month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Boy, do we not need healing. Can, can you imagine a, a crop that has a fruit, a harvest every month? No longer will there be any curse upon anything. It's going to be back to the, the perfect order in Eden. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. It will show that we belong to Him. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord will shine on them. Notice this. This is where it all wraps up. And they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. This is talking about those who hear the invitation back to the garden. will be with him reigning forever. It doesn't mean we're going to be kings and queens. But what it means is we're going to be companions to the one who does reign. Man, I wanted to be a champion so bad. I thought there would be a day I'd maybe play in the Final Four. Uh, back whenever I looked up to like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson growing up watching basketball. That day never happened. I never became the champion of any real uh, a championship award. But you know what I, I thought about recently? Champions come and go. Tomorrow night, there's going to be a new champion crowned of the NCAA tournament. It's either going to be Kansas or UNC, University of North, North Carolina. One of those two teams are going to be champions. And we'll, we'll talk about it for a day or two. You might remember it for a few years. If you're like me, uh, four or five years away, I will not have a clue who won the championship in 2022. It's just not my, my specialty. I, I don't have that type of memory. Those things kind of fade and they're gone. You know what's interesting, though, about this year in college basketball? Madison Square Garden, who has host one of the tournaments, the NIT, for the past like 80 years, has announced they'll no longer be hosting that tournament. The NIT will no longer be in Madison Square Garden. From before, in the 40s, it was held there. Not only will champions be forgotten, but places like the garden where it once existed will be no more. Uh, and basketball will come and go, and that's really not, not a big deal. But I want you to see the world is forever changing, and it's not holding to anything. But you know what will happen? We can be God's companions in heaven forever. It will not change. 
The, the scripture says, and they will reign forever and ever. Not as champions, but we will reign as the companions of the king. Let me ask you this. As we leave today, can you celebrate that you're a companion of the king? Bought by the blood of Jesus? Washed? By his blood, made new because of what he has done for us on the cross. Uh, would you stand with me as we sing this closing song of celebration? And if you're a child of the king and you're his companion, let's celebrate. Father in heaven, give us an ability today to go from this place with great celebration because we will reign with the king forever and ever as his sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.